You're listening to Crossroads International Church Podcast. Welcome. We hope this podcast will bless you from wherever you're listening to it. For more information, go to our website at xrds.nl. And now, let's get into the podcast. Bless you. Good morning, everybody. Good to be here, is it not? Oh, it's great to be in God's house. We love it. What a great place to be. We made you work for it, though, but you've earned your seat. So relax and get comfy in that seat. You worked for it. Sean said, working your way through the maze. Also, hey, don't forget, we, it's, it's our lunch table. It's our monthly lunch table today. So I'm going to be there. Come and join us for lunch. You're all welcome at the community center. Hey, it's free lunch. Come and join us, especially those who are considering becoming a member of Crossroads. I'm going to be there. Johan's going to be there. And we would love to spend a bit of time with you and uh, look forward to seeing you at lunch uh, straight after the second service. Please note. So in all reality, lunch will probably start around 12.30-ish. So, you know, just take that into account. Right, so beautiful friends, next weekend, can you believe it, is Easter weekend. It is upon us. I look forward to seeing you Friday, 8 o'clock. It is our Good Friday service. And then on Sunday, Easter Sunday, it's going to be such a treat. Let me tell you, we've got a guest speaker. First of all, it was hard for me to say, listen, I'm not preaching on Easter Sunday, but I'm comforted by who is going to preach on Easter Sunday. We have uh, lined up and arranged for you. We have a New Testament scholar and professor of notes. From Tyndale College, a New Testament professor, and interesting, J.D. Atkins. J.D. Uh, did his Ph.D., you've guessed it, in the resurrection of Jesus. So I figured, well, hey, who better to ask to come and preach for us on Easter Sunday? So it's going to be a great joy. But let me say this to you. Coming back to today, today is Palm Sunday. Now, Palm Sunday, you may or may not know, is the day where historically uh, the church around the world remembers the day, and we read of this in John's Gospel, I think it's chapter 11, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere there, where Jesus is presented in a way where he, uh, with great uh, triumph, enters into Jerusalem, riding on a young, uh, young donkey, and in a very real way, Jesus is presented, is offered to the people, and John is very careful and clever. He wants us to know how people respond. So here's Jesus as he comes into Jerusalem. How will we respond? And you will know. Initially, they responded first with Hosanna, which means save us, Lord. But oh, so very quickly, they, the shouts of Hosanna changed to shouts of crucify him crucify him. And as we approach Easter weekend, I want to ask you to consider how will you respond to Christ offered to you? What will be the shouts of your heart? Will it be, Hosanna, save me, or will it be, crucify him? 
Now you will remember if you were here last week, uh, we started the second half of the book. We looked at chapters 13 to 17, those 155 verses, five chapters, which, which, which marks for us the beginning of the second part of the book. It's known as the farewell discourse, that moment or those chapters where Jesus recognizes that his time with his disciples is coming to end. And so we had important things to show them, to teach them, to show them before he goes to the cross. There are a few important things I need you to know. So he said, this is the kind of people I want you to be. And he set them the example of washing their feet. He said, this is the kind of things I want you to do. And he gave them a new commandment, love one another as I have loved you. And he gave them a promise, do not be afraid. I am going to my father's house to prepare a place for you. There is space and room for you. And I will be back for you. It's a wonderful promise. Now in, here's the thing about John, just very quickly. This is not the sermon, by the way. This is just the you know, side note, this is bonus, this is extra, we'll get to the sermon now, but interesting, and I'm sure maybe you've noticed this, when you read John's gospel, and I hope you've all been reading through it, that you may have noticed that in John's gospel, very peculiar, Jesus often takes the initiative, he makes the first move, he initiates conversation, and John is very careful to record then, okay, so here's Jesus, he makes the first move, and John wants us to notice, how do people respond? What's the response? Because he wants us, the reader, to know, okay, well, here's Jesus. What will be your response? How will you respond to this Jesus? Now, in these five chapters, in this bit about the washing of the feet and the Last Supper, John's very clever to record for us three distinct responses to Jesus. Asking us to reflect upon how will we respond. Well, then there is the obvious, of course, there is the Judas response. You will remember the Judas response is the response that signifies or represents a rejection of love and a denial of bad news. Something we love to do. No, nope, I don't, I don't want to know about it. I'm not dealing with this. The Judas response, just a rejection and a denial. Thank you, but no thanks. I'm not interested this is not for me. Then there is, of course, the Peter response. And we love Peter because we can so identify with him. And the Peter response is a response that says, yes, yes, Jesus, but on my terms. <laughs> yes, but in a way that, that makes sense to me, in a way that I understand, in a way that fits in with my worldview and how my life runs and how things should go. So yes, Jesus, you can, but... And then there is the most beautiful response. It is the response of the loved disciple, the unnamed, beloved disciple. I think unnamed for a reason. I think because John does not name him because I think maybe what John is saying, hey, could this be you? Could this be you? This beautiful response of the loved, the beloved disciple. Interesting, you remember I said to you last week, John makes this beautiful connection with the beginning of the second part of the book, with the beginning of the first part of the book. Do you remember that? Here's another example of how he does that. You will know that in the beginning of the first part of the book, chapter 1, verse 18, uh, John describes for us the relationship between the Father and Jesus, and he uses a fascinating word. He uses the Greek word kolpos, and what that word means, it's simply saying, is that Jesus is in the, in the bosom of the Father. He's in the heart of the Father. It can also be translated womb, so by the way, uh, which is fascinating. The place of life. 
to help us understand the relationship between Jesus and the Father. And here John goes, here in the second, the beginning of the second part of the book, chapter 13, when he talks about the story, washing of the feet, we come across this verse, verse 23, where it talks about this loved, beloved disciple, and he, and John uses that word again. And it's easy to miss, but he uses that word, kolpos, again. And when he explains the relationship between this loved disciple and Jesus, and he said, as they were reclining, this disciple Kolpos was reclining on the heart of Jesus. He was in the bosom of Jesus, in his womb, as it were, in that place, that life-giving place, that intimate place of life resting on his heart, resting on his bosom. And it's then no consequence. You remember the story? Peter then goes, when Jesus starts talking about, well, look, someone's going to betray me, that Peter then goes, and he goes to this disciple, and he says, okay, well, you ask him who it is, because Peter knew he would know, because he knows the heart of Jesus. He says, you ask him, because you know his heart. And so John presents that as kind of the third way of responding, one that says, Jesus, I want to know your heart, here's my heart. I surrender it all to you. I want to be so close to you so that I know your heart, that it gives new life to me. What will be your response as we approach Good Friday and Easter Sunday? That wasn't even the sermon. Okay, so let's continue the story. Here we go. Right, let's read. So what happens in, they, Jesus has now entered Jerusalem, and um, they have the Last Supper, wash the feet, Jesus teaches them stuff, and then we read this, John's Gospel, chapter 18, verses 1 to 7. So after he said these things, Jesus went out with his disciples and crossed over to the other side of the Kidron Valley. He and his disciples entered a garden there. Judas, the betrayer, also knew the place because Jesus often gathered there with his disciples. Now Judas brought a company of soldiers and some guards from the chief priests and Pharisees. They came there carrying lanterns, torches, and weapons. <clears throat> Jesus knew everything that was to happen to him. So he went out and asked, Who are you looking for? They answered, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, I am. Judas, his betrayer, was standing with them. And when he said, I am, they shrank back and fell to the ground. He asked them again, Who are you looking for? They said, Jesus the Nazarene. Woo! What a story. You see, John is now evolving to the climax of it all. And there are some fascinating things here for us to notice. Let me remind you, we've said this now for a few weeks. The synoptic gospels, which are those Matthew, Mark, and Luke. What's synoptic? Synoptic is a Greek word that just simply means to see in a similar way, to see in the same light. And that really is what Matthew, Mark, and Luke does. They record for us the life and the mission of Jesus in a very similar way. 
John presents Jesus for us in a different way. We've said this, but here's a tip for you, and I want you to remember this as you read through John's gospel. Whenever you come across the same story recorded in the Matthew, Mark, and Luke synoptic gospels and in John's gospel, I want you to note the differences. And the tip is this, is that when you see John including some other detail or, 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 or relating the story in a different way that is also recorded in the other Gospels, take note, stop and ask this question, what does this mean? Because John always gives us extra information, extra detail, because not just to fill up some lines in the Bible, no, because he does this because he wants us to know this means something for your life. And so when you read the story and the account of Jesus' arrest, as we have read here, which is also in the other Gospels, we need to note what's different and why. What does this mean? So the arrest of Jesus They've had supper. They've left the upper room. They go down Mount Zion, through the Kidron Valley, up the base of the Mount of Olives. And as John says, they get to a garden. The other Gospels call it Gethsemane. So they get to the Garden of Gethsemane. So here's what happens in Matthew, Mark, and Luke in the Synoptic Gospels. You remember what happened, right? So they get to the garden, and Jesus says to his disciples, wait here pray. He then takes Peter, James, and John with him, and they go on a little bit more, and he tells them, will you wait here and pray with me? And Jesus goes on a little bit even more, and he goes and he prays. And in Mark chapter 14, let me remind you, here's what happens in the garden. Jesus began to feel despair and was anxious. This is Mark 14, 34. He said to his disciples, I am very sad. Then he went a short distance farther and fell to the ground, and he prayed that if possible, he might be spared this time of suffering. And then in Luke's gospel, Luke 22, Luke tells us what Jesus prayed. And Jesus prayed, according to Luke, he said, let this cup pass from me. And so the idea that we so clearly get in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus in the garden about to be arrested, that Jesus is feeling this, this anxiety. He's feeling what is and has a real understanding of what's before him. And they want to highlight for us that Jesus understands the humanity of Jesus Christ. And I need to be reminded of the humanity of Jesus. That Jesus understands pain and suffering and having to face tough and difficult situations. And so they highlight for us the humanity of Jesus. But what is interesting, in John's gospel, we find none of that. We find none of that. John wants to highlight and not in any way contradicting, but he wants to counterbalance that. And John says to us, yes, Jesus is human and he understands, but I also need you to know that yes, he's human, but he is fully God in the way that John writes the story. And he uses clever ways to make his point. I need you to know that Jesus is almighty and he is powerful and you must never forget that. 
Here's one way that he does that. He includes a fascinating little detail. And it says that as they came into the garden, Judas was there and he came with a company or a cohort. Some translations will tell us a cohort of Roman soldiers. That's great. Most of us think a company or cohort of Roman soldiers plus soldiers and guards from the high priest's office. You know, so here's what most of us have in our imagination. Here's Judas and like a handful of soldiers, one or two, they're coming to get Jesus. How many soldiers are in a company or a cohort of Roman soldiers? A cohort of Roman soldiers. Go and look at the footnotes of your Bible. It'll tell you there. 600 soldiers. Here's a mental picture for you. That's more people than what's in this room right now. So here's Jesus and 600 soldiers come to get him, plus high priest guards. John wants you to know that he is strong and powerful and he's God Almighty. And then look what happens next. Let's read what happens next. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen, went out and asked him, Who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am, said Jesus. And they drew back and fell to the ground. That's how John writes it. What's the point? What is it that John wants you to understand? What's the meaning of this? John wants you to know that, yes, he's human, but he's God Almighty. He's almighty, and he is strong, and he is powerful. And that just by speaking and just by mentioning his name, He can strike down any enemy. That there is no army, no enemy, nothing that you can face in life that is stronger than Jesus. John wants you to see that and hold on to that and remember that when you are faced with a cohort of Roman soldiers. He wants you to know and so we spoke about this five works, uh, sorry, five weeks uh, back where he cleverly works in the name of Jesus, where he says, I am, remember 1,300 years earlier, Moses, burning bush, you remember that? God gives his name, I am. And so John works it in there. Who are you looking for? Jesus says, I am. And he wants you to know that the one that you have said yes to, the one that you are putting your faith and your trust in, the one that you call Lord, that there is no enemy that he cannot defeat just with speaking his word. And of course, now immediately I'm reminded and I meant to think of John chapter 6. Are you not? You're thinking of John 6 right now, aren't you? And what you're thinking of is that Jesus, when there is a storm before me, and I feel like my boat is about to capsize, Jesus speaks and the wind and the waves immediately obey him and they die down. And Jesus said, why are you afraid? And I'm meant to think about and I'm meant to remember that whether I'm faced with a storm of life or a cohort of Roman soldiers, I need not fear when Jesus is in my boat because he's God Almighty. Isn't that good? And you thought John's gospel was boring. Not at all. Shall we move on? Let's move on from his arrest. So 
And the thing that John wants you to see is here, the, right, is that it's not so much that Jesus was being arrested or kind of uh, captured, but more that he offers himself. Okay. I can take you, smite you to the ground just by speaking my name. But my love for humanity compels me. Here you are. Take me. And he offers himself. That's what John wants us to see. And so they then arrest him. And he's taken to the house of Annas. You remember, Annas was the former high priest. And also, so by the way, the father-in-law, coincidence, no, the father-in-law of the current high priest, Caiaphas. And so they take him to Annas' house. And Annas says, yes, he is a vile and horrible criminal. Take him. And he puts him in trial. Yes, take him to the high priest. And he gets accused of uh, wanting to, uh, claiming to be king of the Jews. Blaspheming against God is the charge. And they take him to the house of Caiaphas. And he's put on trial. They take him to Pontius Pilate. And Pilate says, what's going on here? He said, well, this man claims to be king of the Jews. Knowing full well that in Roman law, the penalty that if you claim to be a king... If you claim and then if you raise up an army against the empire of Rome, the penalty for that is crucifixion. And so they say to Pontius Pilate that here's a man, he's leading a rebellion against Rome. Sedition. And Pilate questions him, and you can go and read the beautiful account, chapters 18, 19. Of the conversation between Jesus and Pilate. And so Pilate asked him, are you, are you king of the Jews? And Jesus said, I am king, but my kingdom is not of this world. Oh, so good. Very quickly, Pilate realizes this man is no threat. But the authorities are insistent. And so he thinks well, maybe what will appease them is maybe if I just rough Jesus up a bit. And so Jesus is laid out and he's beaten and he's whipped. And what we must understand and see, and I'm going to read this for us in a second, but what, you must, what John wants us to understand is that they're trying to break him, but Jesus is strong and powerful. And so they beat him and they whip him. And so they try and break him physically, but he is strong. And the next thing they try is, well, well, let's try and break his spirit. And so they try and humiliate him and they place a crown of thorns upon his head and a purple robe. And they mock him and humiliate him, trying to break his spirit. But John wants us to know that Jesus is strong. Eventually, Pilate then after having done this, he thought to himself that, okay, well, look, he is, he is, they've beaten him. They have humiliated him. And he puts him before the crowd in that sense again. Surely you are now satisfied. This man is, has been beaten to near death. He has been utterly humiliated before all of you. Surely that's enough. But the crowd just got angrier and angrier. And the shouts of Hosanna, save us, turns to shouts of crucify him and Jesus is led out to be crucified more on that on Friday night 8 o'clock John 19 verses 16 to 22 let us read the soldiers took Jesus prisoner 
carrying his cross by himself, he went out to a place called Skull Place in Aramaic Golgotha. That's where they crucified him and two others with him, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a public notice written and posted on the cross. It read, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. Therefore, the Jewish chief priest complained to Pilate, Don't write the king of the Jews, but instead, this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I've written, I've written. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. See, same story, but there's a difference. So I must take note. What does it mean? Matthew, Mark, and Luke, who carries Jesus' cross? Simon of Cyrene. In John's gospel, Jesus carries his cross. And it doesn't contradict, because undoubtedly, uh, Jesus carried his cross, and somewhere along the line, Simon took over and carried Jesus' cross. But John wants to highlight and make his point. That here's Jesus. He was beaten to near death. And still he went and he picked up that heavy beam that, that would be his cross. He was beaten to near death and still he chose to go there to pick it up and to embrace it. Because he was on a mission. And that mission is you. That mission is you and me. His love for you and me compelled him. So we be beaten near death to embrace that cross, and I'm going to pick up this instrument of my death and take it to the place of my crucifixion because I love you, so that in doing this, you may be redeemed and have new life. Be restored and reconciled with your Creator, your Heavenly Father, forgiven of your sins, and understand who you are and know life and meaning and experience fullness of life. That's what John wants you to see. One final thing, then I'm done. John includes detail that the others don't. He said, and it was written the sign in Aramaic, Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. Aramaic we understand. But why Latin and Greek? Why does John say that? Well, it's obvious. He wants us to know that Jesus is king not just of the Jews, but is king of the world. He wants us to know that Jesus is king of the world, that he rules over all of creation. He embraces his cross, compelled to do so out of his love for you and me. We are his mission, and he lays down his life for us. That is the Jesus whom we worship and sing to. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you have a wonderful week. See you next time.